Hello, everyone. I'm Nick Desai. Welcome to today's episode of Nick's Notes. Always a pleasure to be here speaking with all of you. And today I wanted to talk as apolitically as possible about the impact on healthcare of the pending likeliness that Roe versus Wade is overturned. After last week's leak, it is, you know, considered a foregone conclusion that Roe v. Wade will be overturned and abortion rights will be relegated back to the states. And so many states like California and New York and other places will continue to have safe legal abortions and many states like Texas and Florida and others will not. So what are the impacts of not have health impacts of not having legal abortion? And this is not a political commentary, right? I'm, I live in Santa Monica, California, so you may probably be able to guess my politics, but that's irrelevant to today's discussion, which is really about the healthcare impact. So the first thing to say is that because abortion has been legally available in the United States for 50 years, because the kinds of data keeping, record keeping, prior to 1973 in most of the country were very different than they are today. We don't have a lot of data on what happens with unsafe abortion access, right? It's an old adage to say that you can't outlaw abortions, you can only outlaw safe abortions, and there's back alley things, and there's the coat hang wire coat hanger and all of these things. And that will clearly, right, there's no way that sticking a wire hanger into a human being uh, is a good thing, right? So there's no question that those are going to have significant health impact. But there is no data on that because for half a century, this has been a publicly available thing that has not required the measurement of that data recently. But that will be one health impact I want to put out there right at the onset so we don't forget that people will find a way, and now that way may include driving to another state, and it may include ordering uh, abortion medications and things that are harder and harder to regulate. What does, are we going to really inspect what comes in people's mail and, and things? But at the same time, uh, there will be uh, lower income women who are relegated to these unsafe abortions, and we don't know what the impact of those will be. Now, here's what we do know. There was a landmark study done by University of California, San Francisco, called the Turnaway Study. And this is probably the best data that we have, this along with CDC data, which I'll get to in a minute, that we have on the impact of women who want abortion, the health impacts for women who want abortions and who cannot get them. Okay. And this study was done over a multi-year period, resulted in the publication of 50 papers. You can Google Turnaway Study um, by UC San Francisco. It's, it's very well known. 30 Women who want abortions and who are turned away are 33% more likely to live below the U.S. federal poverty line and 40% more likely to be unemployed. Those are financial impacts, but we know in this country that financial impacts impact healthcare because if you don't have a job, you don't have good health insurance, you're on a state-run or federal program or something that does not have as good benefits, right? There is a significant uh, impact on mental and physical health, everything from blood pressure to uh, seizures and strokes 
to depression and anxiety, but we don't have great numbers on that either. Frankly, there hasn't been a real need to study the mental health impacts. We're only starting to understand how universally impactful mental health is in the last decade of American history, to be honest, right? So something that's been legal for 50 years, it hasn't been studied. What will happen to the women who are forced to have babies? What will happen to the children who were carried to term, who were, uh, who were unwanted or continue to be unwanted or are put in foster care or are given up for adoption. We don't know the impact on those women and those mothers, though it is believed in the uh, CDC studies as well as in the Turnaway study that there will be a significant impact there on mental health. The third area, and this is, you know, this is where you get into really, really sad numbers, but of the the U.S. has the highest maternal fetal mortality rate of any developed country in the world at around 23. It's 23 women die during childbirth per 100,000 live births. Okay. That doesn't tell the full story because there's a dramatic variation between states. California has the lowest maternal fetal mortality rate in the country at four. To put that number in contrast, Georgia is at 48. So a woman having a baby in Georgia is 12 times more likely to die during childbirth than a woman having a baby in California. Why is that related to abortion? Because the maternal fetal mortality rate amongst African American women is 290% higher than it is amongst other women. And most of the states in which abortion will be outlawed have a higher percentage of African-American women as a percentage of the population. Places like Georgia, Louisiana, Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, South Carolina, then many of the states where abortion, abortion will remain legal. So it will, the maternal fetal mortality rates already higher in those states. Now we're mixing in the fact that these women don't have access to safe abortion. It will only exacerbate that problem and exacerbate that difference. To be clear, though, the states that have trigger laws, I did the math on this, or will ban abortions or already have tried to ban abortions, the 22 to 24 states in that category right now today have a maternal fetal mortality rate that is roughly 9 to 11 times higher than the states where abortion is legal. The relationship there is prenatal care. As an example, California has amongst the best prenatal care in the entire country. And for large states with a multi-ethnic diverse population and lots of low-income people. California, 60% of California's live births are for mothers on Medi-Cal or Medicaid, which is women who don't have private insurance. 60%. California has the lowest maternal fetal mortality rate in the country and is in the is the best prenatal care in the country. That's not an accident. California also has the lowest infant mortality rate in the country. Infant mortality rate is a measure of how many babies die. California, that's 3.7 per 1,000 live births. In Texas, 
that's 5.3. In Louisiana, it's 7.5. So we're talking about 160 to 200 percent double as many children are dying in these states that are the worst maternal, uh, in, uh, sorry, prenatal care in the country is in Texas. Very high maternal fetal mortality rate, infant mortality rate. In Arkansas, in Georgia, right, these states that have poor care for pregnant mothers have higher rates of mothers dying and babies dying. Not That's not surprising. But they also have a higher rate of women living below the poverty line. The 10 poorest states in the United States are all planning to ban or have already banned abortions. Higher rates of, of women living below the poverty line, higher rates of African-American population. These are the people that will disproportionately suffer. And again, we don't know the long-term health impacts. We don't know the mental health impacts. But what we do know, higher maternal death rate and higher infant death rate. Now let's talk about another consequence, which is this. You can force somebody to carry a baby, but you cannot force that person to have health insurance. And when that person calls 911 and ends up in the hospital without having had prenatal care, because these states don't have good prenatal care, their baby will be delivered because you can't turn away someone at an emergency room. The cost of that delivery is between twenty and $50,000. The more the complications are, the more likely there is a C-section. That's real money. That is money that will be eaten by these states that will have to pay. California has 60% of its childbirth by women on Medicaid or Medi-Cal, yet has a lower cost per delivery than Texas does because of the number of women who are not getting prenatal care. It is logical to assume that women who don't want to have a pregnancy are more likely to ignore, not be able to afford, not get, not understand the value of prenatal care. And so all of these things relate to more mothers die, more children die, more costs. There is no cost savings in this, and there is more death in this, right, for women and for their children. And it disproportionately affects African-American women by two, almost three times, 290%, which inherently talks about the racial equity and inequity problem that we talk about in healthcare across the board, right? <coughs> As we've talked about before in this program, whether it's COVID, heart disease, life expectancy, there's almost no health metric in which African-American people are in disproportionately disadvantaged to non-African-American people in the United States. So this just adds to that racial inequity, racial inequality, adds to the poverty and the real impacts now, unfortunately, looks like, sadly, we will have the opportunity to study those mental health impacts, physical health impacts, impacts on the children, cost of the children, cost to the states and the country down the line for children who become wards of the state, which is an unfortunate reality for, for many of these kids. So I think when you look at the health impacts, it's, it's clear and easy to, and the data validates the fact 
that if we provide universal, excellent prenatal care, regardless of insurance status, and if abortion is kept safe and legal, we can dramatically reduce maternal, fetal mortality, and infant mortality. And then, of course, there's postnatal care, and I haven't even gotten into the what happens after the kid is born, and because it's impossible to study the, again, over the last 50 years, it's been impossible to study how does a kid fare who was born that the mother wanted to abort but couldn't versus a kid that's born that the mother wanted, right? Or whatever the consequence, we don't know that yet. We will have to study those things longer term. But that when I look at a maternal fetal mortality rate difference of 10 times, 12 times, and an infant mortality rate difference of two times and three times and a 290% difference for African-American women versus other women, I look at this from the perspective of more underprivileged uh, uh, people, more uh, racial disparity, and those have long-term societal impacts beyond the health impact. So I, I don't think that there's much of a debate that it is much more effective and sound healthcare policy to have abortion safe and legal and great prenatal care available for all people, regardless of socioeconomic or demographic status. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you leave thoughtful comments, and I hope you don't leave thoughtless comments. This is a complex and difficult issue for a lot of people, and I'm here to provide health data. Thank you very much. I'm Nick Desai, and I thank you for listening.